0: Gathered in love and service for justice and peace. On Sunday, November 30th, 1969, the New York Times reported an astonishing proliferation of environmental events. Rising concern about the environmental crisis is sweeping the nation's campuses, it said, with an intensity that may be on its way to eclipsing student discontent over the war in Vietnam. A National Day of Observance of Environmental Problems is being planned for next spring, when a nationwide environmental teach-in is being coordinated from the office of Senator Gaylord Nelson. On April 22nd, 1970, 20 million demonstrators came out to pledge themselves to save the earth. Today, exactly 37 years later, staggering under governmental leadership cited as committing the worst crimes against nature since that of President Warren Harding. The call to do something to save the earth carries with it a growing edge of fear that it is already too late. In thinking about what we might share here together today, I googled the phrase, how to save the Earth. 65,800,000 results tantalized me with hope. (laughs) I read page after page of environmental tips and am grateful that we have taken many of them to heart, both at home and here in Arlington Street. But the question underlying all of this is not just, what can we do? Although, what can we do is a really important question. There is a deeper question that inquires of our capacity as spiritual seekers to experience ourselves as absolutely inseparable from the fragility of this perilous situation, to come to know in our bones that to save the earth is to save ourselves and all that we cherish, and to be inspired and emboldened to action by that deep understanding. The Color Purple Alice Walker Shug is speaking to Celie about God. Shug says, I believe God is everything. Everything that is, or ever was, or ever will be. And when you can feel that, and be happy to feel that, you've found it. My first step from the old white man in the sky was trees. Then air. Then birds. Then other people. But one day when I was sitting quiet and feeling like a motherless child, which I was, it came to me, that feeling of being part of everything, not separate at all. I knew that if I cut a tree, my arm would bleed. It occurs to me that rather than quote to you from scientific articles, The history of James Lovelock's Gaia Hypothesis would actually make a really good sermon. But instead of that, or instead of reciting a greatest hits list from the best tips for environmental activism, which I do commend to you from that web search I mentioned, it occurs to me to invite you to share in a celebration of the Earth to which each of us is invited by five of my favorite naturalist authors. In order of appearance, here are the voices of Henry David Thoreau, Terry and Rennie Russell, Annie Dillard, Terry Tempest-Williams, Mary Oliver, and Wendell Berry. As I was leaving the Irishman's roof after the rain, bending my steps again to the pond, my haste to catch Pickerel wading in retired meadows, in sloughs and bog holes, in forlorn and savage places, appeared for an instant trivial to me, who had been sent to school and college. But as I ran down the hill toward the reddening west with the rainbow over my shoulder and some faint tinkling sounds borne to the ear through the cleansed air from my know-not-what quarter, my good genius seemed to say, Go fish and hunt far and wide by day, farther and wider, and rest thee by many brooks and hearthsides without misgiving. Remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. Rise free from care before dawn and seek adventures. Let the noon find thee by other lakes, and the night overtake thee everywhere at home. There are no larger fields than these, no worthier games than may here be played. Grow wild, according to thy nature, like these sedges and brakes, which will never become English hay. Let the thunder rumble, what if it threatened to ruin farmers' crops? That is not its errand to thee. Take shelter under the cloud, while they flee to carts and sheds. Let not to get a living be thy trade, but thy sport. Enjoy the land, but own it not. Nature might have made sphinxes in her spare time, or Mona Lisa's with her left hand blindfolded. Instead, nature gave the grain of sand, the polished river stone, the Grand Canyon. So you went to the Louvre. What did you see? After the first artist, only the copyist. Adventure is not in the guidebook, and beauty is not on the map. Seek, and ye shall find. Then one day I was walking along Tinker Creek, thinking of nothing at all, and I saw the tree with the lights in it. I saw a backyard cedar where the morning doves roost, charged and transformed, each cell buzzing with flame. I stood on the grass with the lights in it, grass that was holy fire, utterly focused and utterly dreamed. It was less like seeing than like being for the first time seen, knocked breathless by a powerful glance. The flood of fire abated, but I'm still spending the power. Gradually, the lights went out in the cedar, the colors died, the cells unflamed and disappeared. I was still ringing. I had been my whole life a bell and never knew it until at that moment I was lifted and struck. The Swans. Once in Ohio, of all places, I saw hundreds of swans. They came out of the sky like an orchard, getting married to the dark lake. No one knew they were coming. We heard them. We looked up. We began shouting. They skidded down into the water, which broke and swirled in excitement, embracing their white breasts their black feet. In the morning, we returned early. They were waking. They were rising up, their wings creaking and whistling. Then they flew away. My life in Ohio went on. Everything was changed. Do you know what I'm saying? Everything, everything was changed. Who can say how much nature can be destroyed without consequence? Who can say how much land can be used for extractive purposes until it is rendered barren forever? And who can say what the human spirit will be crying out for 100 years from now, 200 years from now? We must act with this kind of vision and concern, not just for ourselves, but for our children and our children's children. This is our natural heritage, and we are desperate for visionary leadership. It's strange how deserts turn us into believers. I believe in walking in a landscape of mirages because you learn humility. I believe in living in a land of little water, because life is drawn together. And I believe in the gathering of bones as a testament to spirits that have moved on. If the desert is holy, it is because it is a forgotten place that allows us to remember the sacred. Perhaps that is why every pilgrimage to the desert is a pilgrimage to the self. There is no place to hide, and so we are found. The Peace of Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down, where the wood duck lies in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. My spiritual companions, today and every day is Earth Day. May we champion that which has helped and healed and held us all our lives to save not only our own lives, but life in the future. The earth is our greatest inheritance. May it be our greatest legacy.